Welcome back to episode, actually, 13 of Cinemazing Chats. Uh, I'm Pablo, and I'm joined here today by Erica and hey. Derek. Hey, hello. Hey, how's it going? Really good. And on this episode, we're going to sort of be doing like a three-legged horse, because we're going to be talking specifically about The Disaster Artist, which just came out and still playing in theaters. But we're also going to be using that as a springboard to talk about The Disaster Artist, the book, which both Derek and I have listened to. And and then we're also going to compare it to The Room, which me and Erica have seen, but Derek has not. So I think it's an interesting cross-section of how we all are coming to know uh, the wisdom of Tommy Wiseau and his brilliance, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> so I think we all saw the movie uh, The Disaster Artist in the last week, and I had a lot of feelings about the movie, but I thought generally um, the material they attempted, they did pretty well. And then I thought Franco, James Franco, who directed and acted in it as Tommy Wiseau, I thought he did an amazing job acting in it, specifically. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think that's like the main takeaway from the film, honestly. Um, just like his performance was really good and sort of like the linchpin of all the comedy. Most of the comedic scenes were built around it. Right. Well, I started feeling bad because um, we were kind of laughing at him and his voice. And he there's that scene where he says like, you're the villains for laughing. That's what villains do. And I felt it made me feel bad. <laughs> Yeah, they had a few distinctive themes in this one, which they definitely took care to underline. There was the recurring thing with the um, pinky swear. They go back to that one three times, I think. Right. And, yeah, (laughs) and just the idea, um, like you were just saying. Uh, The thing about what I took from the movie is uh, the character that James Franco plays, which is Tommy, um, it became less jokey. He played it really seriously. That's true, and, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I felt for the guy. I, I felt like he's just trying to follow his dreams, but he's just not good at acting or writing. And you really feel for the guy. Yeah, and I think that's definitely the intended effect of both the book and the movie, is you sort of get to know this like eccentric guy, but you realize he's still a human underneath all that, and that he has like probably serious issues. Yeah, he's, he's clearly a trauma survivor, both physical and probably mental. <laughs> Yeah, it clearly has some fucked up background that obviously we don't really know much about. But I just wanted to talk a bit about what the disaster artist actually is. So, of course, Tommy Wiseau made this infamous movie, The Room, which is now played like all over the midnight theaters. Uh, like, Rocky like Rocky Horror. Yeah. yeah, they have a whole shadow theater, like throwing spoons at the screen and doing all this stuff from the movie. And um, it's sort of well known for just being like such a good bad movie that it's almost as if you couldn't have set out to make something like this. It's like somehow all the things uh, confluence to to make this unique product, this like movie that's so out of tone. It must have been made by an alien or some like eccentric madman. Like there's no other way to look at it really. <laughs> Just every scene is so bad. Yeah, and I think I read that Greg got the idea for the book because pe- he would tell people stories about this, what happened, and they were like, there's no way. <laughs> right, exactly. And we should say that The Disaster Artist, the book, is actually like probably one of the most brilliant things that came out in the past year. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Greg, yeah, Greg really does just dig into the whole production of how, well, not just that, he talks all about Tommy Wiseau and how their friendship got started and all the ups and downs. And he really goes into, like, 
um, kind of like metaphor of what the room really means, what was going on in his life, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, I would say actually the book is a lot more dramatic and they actually took a lot of stuff out that I think would have made the film better in many ways. And I think that was probably to appease Tommy Wiseau, who it seems like was involved in some limited capacity. Like he obviously had to sign off on it and all that. Mm-hmm. So they could use his, the room. But the biggest disappointment to me is that, and they hardly touch on this at all in the movie, um, there's a direct comparison made between the friendship of Greg and Tommy and the movie The Talented Mr. Ripley. Like, uh, Greg has a friend who specifically points out the movie to him and is like, that's Tommy in the movie. And then Greg yeah. is back with Tommy and there's this whole scene of like recognition where Tommy's like, oh fuck, I am this messed up guy. This like, um, if you haven't seen Talented Mr. Ripley, it's basically about a con man impersonates people hmm. to like try to get favor um, mm-hmm. because he has like such a dark and twisted interior that he feels like he can- if you add that it becomes really creepy yeah but i think that was like the greatest takeaway from the book at least for me is he really that yeah i'm like how evil is he in person <laughs> I, I wouldn't call him i wouldn't call him evil i just think he was very focused on himself mm. his vision a water uh what are some things you liked and disliked about the movie, Pablo? And then I'll, I'll go. Let's see. I did really like sort of the texture of the film. Like, they sort of used this documentary um, cinematography. Like, it was basically just, like, trying to be imitating real life and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought they had some really good, um, like, music drops from the 90s that were all really well picked. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when they're in the nightclub and Tommy's just, like, creepily dancing and Greg is picking up Amber, and he's just, like, watching him. And I think that's, like, one of the only moments where they sort of acknowledge this, like, I don't know, pseudo-sexual, like, psychosexual relationship that Tommy has with Greg. Yeah. Where he kind of wants to be him, and he also wants to have sex with him, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All this other stuff packed into it. Erica, what you, would you think of the, the good parts? Well, yeah, I guess I was able to get a lot of different, like, themes and interpretations out of it. Um... I liked the way they made his ha-ha laugh or whatever, like his signature weird laugh. They turned that into this whole, like, laughter motif and, like, um, comedy versus drama theme and what is funny and, yeah, I don't... Anyways, yeah, so I could kind of um, probably write a lot of essays on it. I like that. (laughs) And there's a whole thing about how Tommy sees himself and wants to be the heroic character, but everyone, including Bob Odenkirk in the movie, uh, plays like a theater director who tells him, no, you're the villain. You should be playing yeah. like Caliban and The Tempest and playing right. like, Frankenstein and Dracula. Yeah. Not a hero. <laughs> Which I would love to see his vampire movie follow-up, by the way. <laughs> uh, what I liked about the movie, one, the cast was great. Like, it was perfect. Um, I don't know. I really felt for the character. I thought it was going to be more of a comedy where I just laugh at this ridiculous character with this weird accent. And turns out, no. Like, there were some parts where I got, like, emotional. And I really felt for the guy. And I felt his, like, loneliness. And it's... Definitely. It's a way deeper movie than I thought it would be. Yeah, I think I, I think Franco did a really good job of sort of condensing a lot of the material and, like, taking lines from here, taking action from here and mixing sort of different bits of the book together so he hit a lot of the same points while obviously he had to excise a lot of material 
and also sort of like the um, almost inside LA knowledge, like of all these locations that you see in the movie. That's probably from like James Franco's experience uh, being there. Cool. What do you guys dislike about the movie? So I thought they made a really big mistake in how much they condensed it. Like I think there was one time jump in between uh, when they say we should make our own movie, and then Tommy finishes the script, and it's like three years have passed or something. Right. And they missed some like really big material too. Like it's not just as if they present it sort of in the movie as though Greg is like this great friend who's just always trying to help Tommy, and like doesn't <laughs> think Tommy's that weird or creepy until the very end when he like is holding out about the beard issue and wants him to shave it and kind of screws him on being on Malcolm in the Middle. But really in the book, you get this like much deeper thing about how Tommy is kind of manipulating him with the apartment in L.A. He like does all this fucked up shit about raising the rent and like lowering the rent and like then just announces he's going to move in. It's not as if they moved in together immediately. Um, and then he basically just agrees to do the movie, The Room, because he wants to get a big paycheck. It doesn't have anything to do with like he wants to help out. Well, maybe it does a little. Obviously, it's like really complex, but... I think they just kind of change a lot of the motivations and a lot of like what's going on beneath the story that was trying to make it like present it sort of sunnier. Eric, as as someone who hasn't read the book, what did you think were some of the um, what parts didn't, didn't you like about the movie? Well, I it's funny. I was going to mention a similar thing. Not that I knew that about the book, but I sort of became like I don't know for some reason my head canon is like Greg is the villain. <laughs> <laughs> and well, i think they this tell-all book yes tommy was like don't say anything about me and he wrote a book don't tell anyone about me Greg. yeah <laughs> but it was just like he was too he was like too all he was too all american and kind of like naive or something i don't know he was just like yeah. too good or something in this movie <laughs> he's the prototypical guy goes to la tries to make a big story Right. Um, not necessarily having the talent to back it up. Although in the book, he mentions he like uh, was featured in Patch Adams and some other big movies. So it wasn't entirely like nothing. Career. Right. Oh, I did want to mention that in the audiobook for the disaster artist, Greg Sestero also does like a spot on Tommy Wiseau. Like it's essentially as though he's playing both himself and Tommy in the audio. <laughs> like, spot on. Like it might be better than James Franco, though. Obviously, he had to do the physicality. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, one of the great things about James Franco, before I go on to what I dislike about the movie, is he was able uh, to get his. You know how Tommy has like a tiny eye and like one big eye? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how he was able to do that the whole time. And he just squinted. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Uh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> and at first, the accent got annoying to me because it was really hard to understand what he said. Like any anything you said, um, but you get used to it. Um, one thing I, I thought was weird was the lack of a love story. I guess. Mm, yeah, and also um, I think that was kind of changed for the movie mm -hmm. because I don't think him and Amber actually had that good of a relationship for the majority of the time that the room production was going on. So it kind of made it like this convoluted thing. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's because. Um Greg is both Mark and Lisa, so he's the romance, I guess. <laughs> he's the betrayal. <laughs> oh, I also wanted to shout out, like you were saying, all the side characters, like everyone that they cast to recreate the actors from the room. <laughs> right. Like, perfect. Yeah, mm -hmm. really good. I loved PETA from the Hungry Games yes. as Denny. 
Uh, he was hilarious, actually. <laughs> and just, like, playing up the whole humor about, like, what age is my character? And he's like... Yeah, he's like, I'm 26. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, the age thing was a running joke because no one knows how old Tommy is. And at different times, he would say he's different ages. And I guess he can't read ages because he yeah, told Denny whatever age you are. Yeah. Oh, another big piece that they sort of took out entirely was that uh, Greg wasn't originally cast as Mark. Like, he started out just being a producer on The Room, and they had a different Mark. <laughs> but then uh, Tommy did this whole fucked up like power play being like, oh, no, Greg's just going to be the stand-in. And eventually he was just like, uh, I'm just, Greg's just the man. Greg's smart. Oh, they also kind of uh, didn't show how much of an asshole Tommy was. Oh, yeah. He, like, fired a bunch of cinematographers and a bunch of, like, script supervisors and a bunch of whoever. <laughs> He's, like, firing everyone, basically. They sort of show in the movie, like, he hires the... Seth Rogen? Seth Rogen. Yeah, they fire Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, in real life, there's a lot more people than that. Uh, what do you think about the casting of a woman? Like... Um, the casting scene. Oh, where he said, I don't do porn. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. Actually, it was a lot creepier, like, how Greg wrote it. Um, because it was supposed to be almost like a casting couch thing where Tommy was, like, making women make out with him and, like, be shirtless and all this shit. Oh, God. So it actually toned down for the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of made it really, uh, I guess, funny and really lighthearted about, like, um... He told a girl to pretend like she's licking a uh, lollipop. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. I thought that scene was hilarious, and the person they cast as Lisa was really great. Like, she was pretty much spot on. Like, <laughs> uh, she looked just like the actress in the room. Mm-hmm. So I, I loved it. Yeah, it was really good. But another thing that kind of annoyed me was just that... Um, I don't know. I think this movie was trying to do a few too many things. Like, it was A, trying to be a adaptation of The Disaster Artist... B, trying to be sort of like um, sort of trying to be like a celebration of the room and the fandom of the room and like what it means for people like they have a whole thing at the beginning where all these actors are talking about the room as if it's this great like Citizen Kane or whatever mm-hmm. and then they have the whole like indulgent scene at the end where they're recreating like really specific scenes second by second scenes yeah <laughs> yeah so a part of that kind of bothered me in a way just because it's almost just trying to springboard on the success of the room but I also see that they were trying to be, like, honor its legacy, and, you know, since Tommy was involved, they were also trying to, like, probably be like, good job, kudos. Mm. For me, I, I really like the overall theme of the movie, which is, you know, don't stop believing in your dream, which is really great. No matter how um, lame your town is, don't stop believing. And, yeah, it was just, it was, I really enjoyed the movie. I think that scene where Tommy was talking about his planet was the best exploration <laughs> of that theme. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it was uh, even deeper in the book, again, just that they talk about... Greg was basically drawn to Tommy because he just goes for it, whatever his dream is, he just goes for it and doesn't like let common sense or like social decorum stop him. He just doesn't let anything stop him. Yeah, so, yeah it's a good theme. How many producers in real life did he walk up to their dinner table and start talking to? (laughs) Well, there's no real scene like that in the book, but there is a scene where him and Greg sort of crash a big, like, L.A. restaurant, and Tommy's just doing this whole thing where, like, oh, hi, I'm on the list, and just, like, giving all these names and being like, my name's John, and they're like, that's not on the list, and then eventually (laughs) he finds a name, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's me. 
Um, oh my gosh. And there's a, like a specific reference to that he just keeps ordering hot water all the time. Like that's his favorite drink. <laughs> he just always orders hot water with no tea or like any other thing. But they did capture the, uh, they got the Red Bull. Yeah, this movie had all the Red Bull. That's something I learned. I didn't know Red Bull existed in like the 90s. <laughs> Apparently it was founded in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, they had some good specific details. Like, I bet they researched the hell out of the apartment that Greg and Tommy had together. They probably, like, actually based it on their apartments. And the whole thing with the screen for Tommy's room and, uh, I don't know, just Tommy's look was probably spot on with all the belts and everything. What did you guys think of uh, Dave Franco? Uh, I mean, I think he was just cast because he's James Franco's brother. But I feel like another actor probably could have done way, been way closer to Greg or something. <laughs> Was it was it the uh, I, look? Yeah, yeah. He looks different than Greg, but his acting was okay about it. I guess. Um. Yeah, I don't think he got a lot to do just because they cut out a lot of the inner narrative for Greg. Like they specifically made him look a little bit better than he probably was in real life. Um, so I think it would have been better if they had made him a little darker and made it this whole thing about like him having this fucked up codependent relationship that he's like wary about. But did you guys believe the relationship between? Um, those two on screen. Well, I will say that James Franco did a really good job of not making me think of him as James Franco. Like, he really embodied Tommy, so then him and his real-life brother were able to play off each other in a good way. But it really killed it for me when he was reappearing later on the set of the room with the fake beard, and just wasn't believable at all for me. Yeah. It's like, just hire someone who could grow a beard. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. It wasn't a bad performance, I just don't think it was necessarily the best choice for this movie i don't know there, there's something i i liked him cast i mean i don't think he's like the perfect person to play but um i don't know there's a weird chemistry there it, like i believe that they really cared about each other so that's true yeah that's like the central thing about the film is their friendship so yeah i think they did get that right but I just think they made a few other bizarre choices of how they portrayed him. So I would say this is really two movies. Basically, there's the first half when they're just like becoming friends and living in L.A., and I would have loved for that section to be a little extended. And then they basically just jump right into the production of The Room, and that sort of takes over the rest of the film. And I would just say that for that second half, basically Greg ceases to be a character. He's just like another prop, like just as any of these other side characters. Yeah, he's kind of... He's reactionary. Yeah, I was going to say, he's reactionary. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's where that character kind of lost me in the movie. Whereas in the book, it's like really a lot more dramatic, and I don't know why they took out some of the stuff they took out. I mean, it's a very small cast. It's basically only two people, really. And I love that it was a lot of, you know, Seth Rogen and James Franco's, like, friends filling in the roles. And I also really love that um, all three of the people who do How Did This Get Made were all in the movie. Uh, Jason Manzoukas, I saw him. Sheer, and June Diane Raphael were all in the movie. Who was June? June was... I don't... I still don't know who this character was, but at some point they show, like, all the room characters eating lunch. And she's just, mm-hmm. like, sitting there, like, by the mother character talking to them. She's the one who has the theory. Yeah. Just she says Lisa's the universe, but looks at uh, Mark or Greg. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Well, no, she's the one who has the theory that the room is must be based on something in uh, Tommy's actual life. Okay, which is true. And she's also in. Um, she's in Grace and Frankie. <laughs> yeah, I mean they basically took out the real story about what the room is. It's basically. 
Tommy's interpretation of the talented Mr. Ripley as seen through his, like, lens of his friendship with Greg and all the shit that happened between them in L.A. Like, that's what gave birth to The Room, basically. Yeah. They, like, mention the talented Mr. Ripley and, like, uh, whatever the equivalent is for hearing for Blink If You Miss It. Like, there's, like, a shout-out to it, but they don't explain it at all. But is Lisa the talented Mr. Ripley because she's manipulating everyone? Well, yeah, so in The Talented Mr. Ripley, it's like, um, they made a movie about it, so I'm just going to talk about that. Uh, Basically, Matt Damon goes over to Europe and is trying to get in with Jude Law. He, like, pretends he's his old friend from college, and then Jude Law is dating Gwyneth Paltrow. And so he's trying to, like, seduce Gwyneth Paltrow while uh, getting obsessive with Jude Law's character, and then eventually kills Jude Law and, like, lies about it and covers it up in this whole thing. (laughs) Well, who wouldn't want to get rid of jude law so greg's friend who was already suspicious suspicious about their relationship like their deep friendship or like toxic friendship or whatever it is he's the one who suggested greg to go see the movie and then that's where right. uh, tommy sort of gets the idea like i'll just do my own version of this basically hmm. like my own hollywood film oh yes i also thought this is a great message just in general like for real life which is just that you can always make your dreams come true if you have oodles of liquid cash to just back it up. Anyone can be yeah. a director. If you have millions of dollars, mysteriously. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I was like, it's sort of like open source Hollywood or something. Um, and it took a lot of money, but yeah, he like kept the theater open and all of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's technically impressive. That's an independent film. Right. Even though it probably costs like way more money than it needed to. Guys, do you think this film was successful? I mean, I was just think it's really impressive that um, the movie was made at all. Just like knowing all the shit that was happening behind the scenes. It's just like amazing that they got a finished product out of it and it like made some bizarre sense. Like it has a weird internal logic. Okay. Um, it was impressive that he got the crew together. Yeah, I'd say I respect the fact that he was able to get crews together and get them to coordinate on this thing. Well, yeah, it makes me feel like a bit more of a fuck you to, like, establishment Hollywood that this was made with some guy's random money. But then I also am even more concerned that it was, like, a money laundering front or something. Uh, well, yeah, so everyone, uh, like, whispers about where he got the money from, but... In the book, they have, like, this little weird chapter that's sort of told in the third-person point of view, saying, like, he did this, he did that, and it's talking about this, like, immigrant who came from this, like, small village in Europe and, like, learned how to peddle wares in New Orleans and, like, somehow made a bunch of money just, like, selling a lot of products on the streets of New Orleans, and that's, like, the actual origin story for Tommy. They don't really talk about it in the movie at all, and in the book, it's kind of confusing, but, yeah, so basically, he just made a bunch of money, like, selling a bunch of, like, shit to people. It's the American dream. And he made millions doing that? Oh my gosh. But in the book, they actually build up to that. Like, it's not until deep into their friendship yeah. that he, like, reveals the truth about his, like, face. In <laughs> the movie, he's just, like, immediately, like... You know what's crazy? I don't think they ever gave uh, Tommy a chance in Hollywood. Yeah, that's very true. Is that, like, a normal thing to have um, these agencies, like, sign you and then not give you any work or something? In the book, there's this weird thing where uh, Greg's mother, who is actually French, by the way. I don't know why they cast uh, Megan Mullally. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. I do um, like Megan so Mullally, though. Yeah, at some point, they called his mother's house, like, because he gave them a phone number, and she just, like, chews out this agency, and then they're like, we don't want you to work with us anymore, Greg. <laughs> So, like, his mother kind of messes with his stuff. 
Um, oh, and I just forgot there was a really, really amazing and creepy detail. So Greg had put together a reel, yeah. like a production reel of all the little bit parts and like commercials and whatever he had been in and like made this like proper production reel. And that's how he got this like agency job with like the um, SAG card and all that stuff. But in like in real life or in the book or however you want to think about it, Tommy actually made his own production video and it was like literally a scene for scene recreation of Greg's video. And he like shows it to Greg with like great satisfaction being like, what do you think, Greg? It's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And Greg's just like, what the fuck? (laughs) He made an homage. Yeah. So I think that's like the best example of his obsession. Impossible is the opposite of possible. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Was Gilmore Girls, was that audition actually in the book? I think so. Yeah, I think they mentioned it at some point. Yeah, I guess uh, they show a scene from Gilmore Girls in the movie, and they're just mentioning, Greg's just saying he could have played the Jared Padalecki parts. But it's also, like, an interesting choice, because are they Lorelai and Rory? <laughs> um, uh, Tommy and Greg are the two, are the mom and the daughter in Gilmore Girls? Is that the relationship? Oh, maybe. Yeah, they keep hinting at this, also the weird age play, just the fact that Tommy is obviously, like, several decades older than Greg was when they first met. Right. It's kind of weird. Um, I, I also wanted to say, once they've moved right into the production of The Room, they also, like, left out a lot of great material just about the production. Like, there of course. Like, more things about, like, Tommy flubbing lines for, like, hours. Uh, he couldn't get the fight scene with Greg right for a long time, and he was just like, come on, Greg, just give me your real stuff, and then Greg just, like, full-on decks him. And that's the shot they use. <laughs> oh, my God. There's a lot more stuff God. about how tensions were crazy and how he was, like, shitty towards women and all this, like, interesting <laughs> stuff. Yeah, The Room, the movie, is really negative towards women. It's just like, oh, they're so conniving. They just want clothing bought for them. What? Oh, women. And they all have, like, all the men characters that are friends and throwing that football around all, like, have women issues. It's um, Oh, yeah. Quite- yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite a movie. <laughs> no, the story of the actual room is like bonkers, batshit, insane for sure. It's just this <laughs> thing about how Tommy's character Johnny is this like amazing guy, and they never say why he's so amazing. Everyone's just like, oh, he's so great. He has a job. He just got a promotion. He always takes care of you, Lisa. All this is like really artificial sounding dialogue, and then like Lisa, for no reason at all, just wants to betray him and like sleep with his best friend. Yeah, yeah, she's like, like, I don't really... love him anymore. Goodbye. Or not goodbye, she's playing both guys, because she's just pure evil. Oh yeah, she gets, like, uh, Johnny really drunk on scotchka, which is scotch and vodka, <laughs> and that's how she can, like, trick him into thinking he beat her, and that's where, oh, he, yeah. that's where he has a scene where he's like, I did not beat her, I did not. Yeah, she which starts claiming great, really, that he hit her. Yeah, she's a horrible person, basically. All women are just lying. All women are gonna betray you and, like, yeah. you over and sleep with your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and also in the book, they also mentioned that Tommy had, like, several female, uh, I don't know, suitors or partners or whatever. I just thought it was weird how uh, Tommy had, like, additional female suitors. Oh, yeah. That was really creepy. Or, yeah, however you want to think about it. He just, like, goes out randomly and Greg's like, oh, who's that? And he's like, don't get in my business. <laughs> I'll be telling. Oh, my God. 
Oh, I love in the book, he's also, he always calls things monsters. He's like, that's a monster. Monsters are in the sea. He doesn't want to go in the sea. I don't know. Yeah. Is Tommy a pansexual imp? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he could be, I guess. Maybe he is now that he's successful. (laughs) Hollywood's a weird place, as we know. There's also a scene where they, like, go to the Hollywood sign in the book, and I think that's what they sort of translate into them just doing it on the roof. But for some reason, them doing it at the Hollywood sign was really uh, emphatic for me or something, or interesting. Hmm. Well, here I guess they just focused on James Dean in the movie, and they went to his crash site or whatever. I found it weird that... uh in the film, they didn't really focus on uh, James Dean as much. Yeah, and that happened in the book, too. Yeah. Like, Tommy's obsessed with James Dean. Tommy is the James Dean that survived the crash. <laughs> and and James uh, Franco... I like that James Franco had played James, played James Dean, Dean in another yeah. movie. Yeah, it's this whole fucked up thing. Yeah, it's like... You're tearing Tommy me apart! James Dean, and then James Franco <laughs> likes James Dean, and then... Tommy was out is James Franco's James Dean. Like Holy the role that he was shit. Going to play. <laughs> I really think oh. he also just did a really good job with the hair and the physicality, just like lurking around like this presence, which you would not think James Franco would be able to do that since he's so frail usually. And James Franco really embodied Tommy's physicality. Like he got his uh, trademark the way he moves and his voice patterns. Guys, what did you think of Zac Efron as Chris R? Oh, he was hilarious. Just that whole thing with Chris R is hilarious, like both in the book and the movie. Just like this guy comes in who might as well be on another set because he's so fucking dedicated into his role and he just really wants to do it and like intimidates the Denny actor. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Mm. When do you think the other actors realized what the Mm -hmm. room was? Until they were sitting down and watching it. Yeah. Just like as a comedic film, I felt this really worked just because, uh, like, everyone in the audience where I was at was laughing at, like, all the key beats. Every time that Tommy elected his little weird laugh. <laughs> that was a good one. Yes. What did you guys think about how the movie ended? For me, I thought it ended perfect. I thought yeah. uh, just seeing Tommy react to how people saw this film was exactly what he wanted. No, I definitely agree that it's sort of this whole thing about, like, Tommy and Greg drifted apart. Like, it happens the same way, actually, in the book, where their friendship kind of dissolves after the screening of The Room, and you realize the whole thing was just, like, this whole fucked-up travelogue about their journey and their friendship. So, yeah, that that really touched me as well. Um, I thought that scene was really well done, is, like, Tommy sort of realizing he didn't make the thing he thought he was making, but instead he made a different thing that's also, like, capable of affecting a lot of people. Well, that's that's one question I was going to ask, because I think about this a lot. Like, does intent matter with art? And is it failed art if his intent was a drama and it came out a comedy, or does that matter? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> was this better or worse than a Hollywood movie? Did Tommy achieve his goal? Yeah, like, there's some big budget movies that are bad, but they're just bad, bad. They're not entertaining bad. And I would say The Room is far more entertaining than a lot of those movies, even though it's considered bad. I also just think of the scene, again, where they're eating lunch with all the actors, and the mom actor says something to the effect of, just a day working on... Any day working on a film set is still better than any day working anywhere else. And I thought that was really important, Mm. too. Just these people are doing it for the love of the craft, even if it wasn't... they, They knew it was, like, sort of a joke when they were making it. 
Like there weren't any, any mm-hmm. illusions. And actually, they explain even more in the book about how Seth Rogen's character, the screen, the script supervisor, how he actually took what Tommy wrote and turned it into an actual script. Like it wasn't nearly in the condition it needed to be in. So he actually put a lot of work into this and sort of saved the movie. Whereas in the in the disaster artist, they sure portray it as like he doesn't care either. But if anything, he was like the unsung hero of the room. Hmm. Well, the disaster artist makes sense without having seen the oh, room. Oh yeah, definitely. Would you guys advise people to see the movie if they haven't seen the room? I don't think it makes sense. Well, it's also weird because they don't really set it up right. They're not talking about how the room has this legacy of being like the best worst movie or anything like that. Like the movie just starts and it's all these actors talking about how amazing the room is and how it's this amazing film. So if you're just going in cold, you could just be like, oh, what's this amazing film I have to see immediately? And then when you get to the end and they're actually showing you scenes from the room, you're just like, what? (laughs) It'd be confusing. What did you guys think about the uh, scene after the credits with the Tommy cameo? Oh, yeah. I couldn't place it. No. It's almost like sort of a flashback or something to earlier in the movie when they're Uh. just like on a rooftop or something. And this like waiter guy comes over. I don't know if he's supposed to be a waiter, but it's Tommy Wiseau and he looks way different. He just has like short hair and he's just like playing a character being like, oh, you're weird (laughs) to James Franco. And James Franco's being like, oh, what's it to you? I don't know. The weird. And they just talk Mm. about their accents. I don't know. It's a cute little moment. Mm -hmm. Didn't bother me. Yeah, I thought they were going to have Sam Jackson show up at the end. Asking Tommy to join the Avengers. <laughs> you have to join join the Avenger initiative. <laughs> so what was your main takeaway from this film? Yeah, I would say if anything, the main utility of the movie is just if it gets people to check out both The Room and then Disaster Artist, the audiobook specifically, because Greg Sestero does like an amazing job narrating it. Um, and just learn even more about this crazy thing that should never have been, but we're all so blessed that exists. And I would give it a uh, three stars. I think it was a great film. <laughs> that sounds yeah. fair. I, yeah. I'll give it three fired producers also out of five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Three out of five mudkips or whatever seems good. <laughs> Would you guys say overall it was good? <laughs> yeah, I would say like, um, so again, I was just saying like every scene I think really works and it's all good stuff, but for my taste, they took out a little too much of the actual drama from the story that is actually deeply dramatic, rich with drama that they probably took out to appease Tommy. Overall, I thought this was a great film. Uh, I believe it was a film not on yeah. the making of like a bad movie, but the making of a really great friendship i would really love to know what greg's um, take on the movie is um i mean i assume he's probably happy and probably boosts his sales but i mean i can guess that tommy's reaction is like oh i don't really care about people know about my room movie <laughs> so like that but i would just wonder what greg would think like um okay they made my book into a movie but it's kind of like a little bit off yeah i thought i read some interview or something where they were both they both said they liked it or something. Greg and Tommy. Oh, I did also just like specifically all the scenes where they showed them auditioning for things just because it kind of poked fun at how ridiculous uh, Hollywood is. Yeah, I liked the meta-ness of it because it's actually uh, was like an unpublished book from Tommy and then a screenplay based on that. So it's a movie about a book based on a movie about based on a book or something <laughs> exactly. um, yeah. and so then yeah like you all, like you said all the insider hollywood stuff um 
just uh, how actors getting famous are one in a million. Yeah, I agree. It probably doesn't have that much to do with talent. (laughs) Yeah, and it's also like Tommy Wiseau could try his entire life and probably never make a movie as perfect as The Room. He'd just be like forced, or he'd be too in on the joke or something. Yeah. Circumstances wouldn't be right. Mm -hmm. Tommy should definitely be in the next Star Wars. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Yeah, just throw him in anything. Just cast him in Star Wars, put him in some like HBO shows. I mean, how... How is he not all American? He's like the American <laughs> dream, right? He's just yeah, doing he's... it like completely stubborn. He's just like going to completely, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, completely ignoring all the facts of reality and just like doing whatever he wants anyway, no matter what yes. anyone says. No matter all the people who like try to shoo him out of the restaurant to being like, you're making a scene, sir, and being rude. <laughs> Oh, I did also want to mention, I thought it was kind of weird how they futz with the time. Mm-hmm. Show Brian Cranston, but they don't make any effort to, like, de-age him or anything. Like, he's supposed to be not in the middle of Brian Cranston, but he looks like... Oh, you're right. Brian Cranston. And same deal with Judd Apatow and, like, other random cameos. It's kind of weird. It was like, they're almost intentionally fucking with time. Yes. I liked it. Like, it made it more timeless for me or something. Yeah, and I like I how that's... you can't always tell. Or it's like, this actor's actually playing himself, but this other famous person's playing a character, like Tommy playing a character at the end, apparently. Oh, right, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it almost reminded me of the other movies that Seth Rogen and James Franco have made together, like The Interview or um, This Is The End. Yeah, mm. or like specifically with The Interview, they saw a documentary, I think, about North Korea, because I saw the same documentary, and they basically translated it into a film, and I kind of think this adaptation was similar in that sense. Like, it was almost like they were taking a documentary about the room and then making it into a movie, like a fictional movie. Yeah, overall, it's, it was pretty good. Um, I'm glad. I feel like I got to be a villain while watching this and laughing. <laughs> um, That's true. You and, are a real and, villain. <laughs> yeah, Tommy's a hero. <laughs> That's my thoughts. <laughs> Tommy's an hero. Yeah. <laughs> Shoots himself at the end. I think the your audience should definitely watch it. I, I really enjoy the movie. Yeah, you know, watch I think it. It's hands down a must see. Mm. Yeah, seriously. Watch it while drinking and eating popcorn and just like laughing and having a good time. <laughs> yeah, go to a, go to a theater where you can get drinks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I guess that about says it all about the disaster artist comma the room comma the disaster artist the book (laughs) (laughs) three-headed horse all right um well thanks for joining us derek really appreciate you popping on yeah thanks can i do a plug guys uh i have a new podcast uh it's called upgrade downgrade it's where me and my friend marla take a look at society's uh, achievements and we grade them whether upgrade (laughs) or downgrade i like that concept (laughs) yeah so please check that out. It's Upgrade Downgrade. Uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Definitely. Yeah. Very cool. That'll do it for this episode of Cinemazing Chats. Um, signing off for this episode, I'm Pablo. And Erica. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Oh, have a great night, and go see the room. <laughs> Wait, did, you said the room, but you meant the disaster. <laughs> or did I? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs>